It's good to be back together tonight. Appreciate everybody being here for another time of worship before we go out into a busy week, a week where I'm sure you have a lot of different things going on, but to be recharged by what we're able to participate in here. I'd love for you to turn with me to Ephesians 5. Last week we left off in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 21, which means this week we're ready for Ephesians 5 and verse 22. And appreciate Michael, he had two pretty long scripture readings today. We're going to be working our way down to the end of chapter 5 as we continue working our way, a study throughout the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, looking at verses 22 through 33. There's a little girl who went to daycare one day, and as she was at daycare, she heard the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves for the very first time. She immediately fell in love with the story. When her mom came to pick her up, she ran out to the car, she got in the back seat, buckled herself up in her, her car seat, and started telling her mom the plot, at least what she remembered of the plot, to Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. She got to the part where Prince Charming jumps off his white horse. And he goes and he kisses Snow White back to life. And then she asked her mom, do you know how the story ends? Her mom said, yeah, I, I know how the story ends. I've heard this story before. They lived happily ever after. She said, no, that's not how the story ends. They didn't live happily ever after. They got married. <laughs> kind of a funny story there, but isn't it kind of sad that there are many marriages that are like that? Isn't it kind of sad where those two things can't coexist, where instead of living happily ever after, they got married? Scripture is very clear. God is very clear in His Word on what He designed marriage to be. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Why was Eve introduced into the world? So that people wouldn't have to go through life alone. According to God's design, marriage is supposed to be fulfilling. Marriage is supposed to be a source of happiness and joy. Marriage is supposed to be a union between two people that ultimately honors and reflects the God who instituted marriage. What's so sad is that for so many couples, even within the church, marriage is the exact opposite of that. Instead of being fulfilling, marriage is draining. Instead of being a source of happiness and joy, it's a source of bitterness and bickering. Instead of being a union between two souls that honors and reflects God, it's sometimes a very loose connection that honors, glorifies, and reflects the standards and the worldview of our world. The sinful world that we live in. Sometimes instead of helping, marriage hurts. And sometimes instead of living happily ever after, they end up getting married. Whenever we come to Scriptures like Ephesians 5 verses 22 through 33, we are confronted with the reality that marriage doesn't have to be that way. Whenever we read Scriptures like this last part of Ephesians chapter 5, we are able to see God's design for marriage. God's design for marriage is only able to be carried out whenever both the husband and the wife fulfill their God-given roles and responsibilities. That's the idea we're going to keep coming back to. That's the idea that we're going to keep emphasizing in Ephesians 5. We're talking about God's desire for marriage. God's desire for marriage can only be fulfilled if both the husband and the wife are committed 
to fulfilling the roles, the functions, and the responsibilities that God has given to them. I think oftentimes whenever we think about a topic like marriage, and whenever we read through a text like this one, we ask a question like, is your marriage what you want it to be? And I think that's an important question. I don't think that's a bad question at all. Marriage should be fulfilling. Marriage should fulfill the needs that we have. But maybe an even more important question than that one is, is your marriage what your spouse wants it to be? Even more important than having our own needs met is making sure that we meet the needs of who we're married to. But then when we come to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, I think we find a question that's not just a more important question, it's the most important question. And it's the question we're going to be focusing on tonight. Is your marriage what God wants it to be? So often when we talk about marriage, we're focused on what we want. What about what God wants in the marriage relationship? Maybe it's the case that you're married right now. Maybe you've been married for a little while. Maybe you've been married for a longer while. I want to ask you this question. I want you to reflect on it. Is your marriage what God wants it to be? But this lesson is not just for those who are married right now. I'm thinking about those who are maybe teenagers who aren't married yet, but one day that's one thing that you want to do. I want to say two things to you. First, you don't have to get married. I think sometimes we give out this false idea that in order to be a faithful Christian, you have to end up being married. You can live a life that is honoring and glorifying to God as a single person, just like the Apostle Paul did, and just like the Lord Jesus Christ Himself did. So first, hear me say this. You don't have to get married, and I think when we look at Scripture, not everybody is meant to get married. But then the second thing that I want you to hear is that if you plan to do that one day, if you want that to be a part of your future, that's a good thing. Will your marriage be what God wants it to be? Maybe you have been married in the past, but you're not married now due to different circumstances. I want you to think about the question, how can you teach this to those who are married or those who are looking to get married? By your experiences, how can you teach the kind of marriage that God wants, the kind of marriage that God desires. Let me say it again. Marriage will only be what God wants it to be when both the husband and the wife fulfill their God-given responsibilities, roles, and functions in the marriage relationship. And I love how Paul demonstrates that in the last 11 verses of Ephesians chapter 5. So here's the overall question. Is your marriage what God wants it to be? That's something we need to reflect on as we study God's Word together tonight. But in order to answer that question, there are three other questions that we need to ask and address. Two questions are going to be more specific. The last question is going to be a little bit more general. Let's start with our ladies first. Is your marriage what God wants it to be? Well, ladies, think about this question. Are you the wife? that God wants you to be. It makes sense, doesn't it? Your marriage can't be what God wants it to be if you're not doing your part. Your marriage can't be what God wants it to be if you're not fulfilling your role or function, if you are not the wife that God wants you to be. So what kind of wife does God want you to be? What are the roles, the responsibilities, the functions that God has designed for ladies in the marriage relationship? Let's notice a couple of things that Paul has to say about that. First, in Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24, Paul says that wives are to submit to their husbands. 
Last week in Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 21, we talked about living a spirit filled life. Being filled with the Spirit, not being filled with wine, not living under the influence of wine, but living under the influence of God's Spirit. And Paul talks about how we do that. One of the ways that Paul discusses about how we live a Spirit-filled life comes in verse 21. We are to, watch the word, submit to one another out of reverence or respect for Christ. Paul continues that idea of submission into verse number 22. Just like we submit to one another out of reverence or respect for Jesus, notice what he says in verse 22. He says, wives, that's the group of people who he's talking to. Here's the command, submit to your own husbands. Now before we talk about what that means, let's talk about what it doesn't mean. That does not mean that the wife doesn't have a voice. The wife doesn't contribute. The wife doesn't have a say. That doesn't mean that the, the husband is able to boss around his wife and she has to do whatever he says without asking any questions whatsoever. This isn't saying that men are more important to God than women or men somehow stand on a higher plane than women do, more important in the eyes of God or whenever we look at the pages of Scripture. What this is saying is that wives, women, have the responsibility to choose. See, this is a choice that you make. It's something you can be obedient to or it's something you can be disobedient to. Women have the choice in Ephesians 5 and verse 22 to submit to their husband's leadership. It doesn't mean you don't have a say. It doesn't mean you don't have input. It doesn't mean that you don't contribute. But ultimately what it means is that you are to submit to the leadership of your husband. Well, what does this submission look like? Notice what Paul says. He says, verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands. We said what it doesn't look like. Now tell me what it does look like. As to the Lord. Paul says, wives, you are to submit to your husband in the same way that you submit to King Jesus. You are to submit to your husband just like you submit to the lordship, the headship, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, why is that? Paul, explain that to me just a little bit. Verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself its Savior. He says, here's the reason that you submit to your husband as you submit to the Lord Jesus. It's because here's, what, here's the responsibility God has given to the husband. We'll talk about this more in just a second. The husband is the head of the wife. The husband is the leader within his household. Just like Jesus is the head or the leader of his church. And so naturally what follows, verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in some things. Just as the church submits to Christ, wives are to submit to their husbands whenever they agree. Or whenever they think that's the best thing to do in the given circumstances. Now watch what Paul says. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I've oftentimes heard the joke that the husband may be the head of the household, but the wife is the what? The neck that turns the head. And I realize while that's sometimes said in jest, you really think that's what that's, do you really think that is what is being taught in this passage? 
Do you think that's what Paul is getting at whenever he says, wives, submit to your own husbands just like you submit to Jesus? It won't be a very popular message in our world today and and it might be awkward for us to think about. It might be a very awkward message to hear because the kind of culture that we live in today pushes the egalitarian agenda. Our culture pushes an agenda that says husbands and wives are to be equal in role and in function and they are to have the same authority and they are to have the same leadership in the household. Wives, do what you want to. It really doesn't matter what your husband thinks about it. It really doesn't matter what your husband says about it. Just do the things that you want to do. Remember, when we talk about Scripture, when we approach this passage in Ephesians 5, we're not talking about what we want in the marriage relationship. We're talking about what God wants in the marriage relationship. We're talking about the roles and the responsibilities that He has set in place. And one of those roles, if we're talking about the wife, is that she is to submit to her husband. And then the other thing that Paul tells wives in this passage in verse number 33 is that wives are to respect their husbands. came across a story about ladies who were in a seminar and the, the speaker was up talking about how the wife should not mother her husband. She was basically presenting the message, you are your husband's wife, not his mother, so don't treat him that way. Don't interact with him that way. And so in order to drive her point home, she asked for a show of hands. How many of you actually want to mother your husband? Lady in the very back row, hands shot up as soon as she said that. And so the speaker called on her, really? You really want to mother your husband after everything we've talked about in this seminar? She said, mother... I thought you said smother your husband. Again, what does Paul tell us in this passage? You go to Ephesians 5 and verse number 33. However, let each of you, we'll talk about this for men in just a second, love his wife as himself and zero in on this. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. This submission that we're talking about here is not something that's just done outwardly. This submission is not something that you do on the outside while having very negative feelings and emotions on the inside. You submit to your husband out of respect for him. God has placed him in a leadership position. He is the leader. He is the head. He is the authority within his household. And as he holds that position, women, wives should give him the respect of that position. Speaking very generally, here. I know that this isn't always true, but men tend to be a little bit more logical than ladies do. And as a result of that, men oftentimes would rather be respected than liked. That's true sometimes, isn't it? Especially in a business relationship. I don't really care if you like me. I just want you to respect me. I don't care if you love me. I, I don't care if you go home and write in your diary about me. I just want you to respect me as a person and to respect what I'm doing. Wives, you need to realize that. Your husband needs to know that you respect him. And if you find yourself oftentimes disrespecting him, either behind closed doors or out in public, you need to spend some time in this passage thinking about what it means to submit to your husband. Thinking about what it means to respect your husband. Is your marriage what God wants it to be? Well, in order to answer that question, ladies, I need you to answer this one. Are you the wife that God wants you to be? Are you submitting to your husband? Are you respecting your husband? Now let's shift the conversation just a little bit. 
Let's go to the other side of the marriage relationship. Is your marriage what God wants it to be? Guys, I want you to think about a very similar question, and I've included myself in this. Are you, are we, the husbands that God wants us to be? Are we fulfilling the roles, the responsibilities that God has given to us within the household and within the marriage relationship? Because just like we said with wives, husbands, if you're not doing your part, if you're not the husband that God wants you to be, if you're not fulfilling your role, then your marriage is not going to be what God wants. Your marriage is not going to be what God desires. The wife can't do it on her own. The husband can't do it on her own. So now, husbands, let's talk about us. Are we the husbands that God wants us to be? Well, what kind of husbands does God want us to be? What are those roles and responsibilities that He has told us to fulfill? Well, notice this first idea in verse 23. We saw it just a minute ago from the wife's perspective, but now I want us to look at it from the husband's perspective. God has given the husband the responsibility to lead his wife. To lead his household. Again, look at verse number 23. For the husband is the head of the wife. That's talking about leadership. That's talking about authority. That's talking about a position of leadership. The husband is the head of the wife. The husband is supposed to lead the wife. How? What does that look like? What, what is the husband's leadership supposed to look like? Well, just like we saw with the wives, we pivot back to Jesus, don't we? Jesus' relationship with the church. In verse number 23, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Guys, here's what Paul is telling you. He's telling you that you are supposed to lead your wife. You're supposed to lead your household just like Jesus leads the church. Well, that brings up a good question. How does Jesus lead the church? What does Jesus' leadership look like? What is Jesus' leadership style? See, if Paul were to just say the husband is the head of the wife, you could justify anything you wanted in how you acted and led in that relationship. But Paul restricts it to say you lead as a husband just like Jesus leads in His church. Well, how does Jesus lead in His church? We could say a lot here. And our list could be really long. But let me suggest just a few things to you. First, Jesus does not lead with an iron fist. Jesus leads by service. Jesus leads by serving other people. This is the man that taught whoever wants to be first needs to be last. Whoever wants to be the greatest is to become the slave and the servant of everybody. Jesus does not lead by sitting around and telling people what to do, watching other people work while He sits back and just gives the commands. No, Jesus leads by example, doesn't He? That's why we are challenged to follow His example. Jesus leads by His own example. Jesus leads in Philippians the second chapter not by elevating Himself. Jesus doesn't lead with Himself or His desires as the number one priority. Jesus leads thinking about others before Himself. Jesus thinks about the needs of those who He leads more than His own needs as the leader. Jesus doesn't lead us down a wrong path. Jesus doesn't lead us down a path that's defined by the sinfulness or the wickedness or the impurities of the world. Jesus leads us down a path that is defined, 1 John 3, by purity, righteousness, 
holiness, and sanctification. So husbands, whenever you look at that list, what do you see? The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. We have been given the responsibility to lead our households just like Jesus leads the church. Not with an iron fist, but leading by service. Do you really want to lead your household? Serve your household. Do you really want to lead your wife? Spend time serving your wife. Lead by example. Not just sitting back and telling people what to do, but actually getting up and doing it yourself. Lead by actions and not words. Because actions do speak louder than words. Lead by thinking about those in your household more than you think about yourself. Lead not by walking down the broad path that leads to destruction, but leading your family down the straight and narrow path that leads to eternal life. The husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church. It's so sad that even when we look into the church, marriages that are supposed to be defined by these roles and responsibilities, sometimes we just don't see it. When husbands don't step up and lead, you know what happens? One of two things happens. Either number one, the wife has to step up and fulfill a role that God hasn't given to her. Or number two, it just doesn't happen. And neither of those options are good. Neither of those options are what God desires. Men, husbands, it's time to step up. It's time to lead your household, to lead your household the same way that Joshua led his. In Joshua 24 and verse 15, when he said, but as for me and my house, he's looking at the Israelite nation, calling on them to make a choice. You can follow after the false gods in Egypt. You can follow after the false gods here in Canaan. But here's what we're going to do. You can make whatever choice you want to make, but I've made the choice, not just for me personally, but for my household. What is it? We will serve the Lord. Ultimately, that's what it looks like for the husband to lead his wife. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But then as we continue, really Paul's main emphasis when he talks to husbands in this passage is not about leading his wife, but loving his wife. In verses 25 through 33, look at, look at verse 25. Just like we addressed wives, now we're addressing husbands, and here's the command love your wives. Again, I'm going to make a very general statement. I realize that this isn't true in every single circumstance, but a majority of the time, a woman is going to be more emotional than a man. Men are more logical tend to be, and women tend to be more emotional. Husbands, your wife needs to know that you love her. She needs to hear it. She needs to see it. And perhaps most of all, she needs to feel it. Your wife needs to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are absolutely in love with her, a love that is second only to the love that, Je- the love that we are to have for Jesus. The love that we are to have in our relationships with Him. Paul defines the love that husbands is, are to have for their wives. Again, what are we pivoting back to? We're pivoting back to Jesus. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wow. Husbands, Love your wives just like Jesus loves His body of believers. Just like Jesus loves the church. Well, how much does Jesus love the church? Paul elaborates on it. He says Jesus loves the church so much, verse 25, He gave Himself up for her. 
Jesus loves the church so much that He died and bled and suffered and rose on the third day. Now He's sitting at God's right hand. Why? For our benefit. Look at what the text says. He gave Himself up for her, not that Jesus gained out of this, but so that we can gain out of this. That He might sanctify her. That He might cleanse her. Verse 27, so that He might present the church to Himself. The picture there is of a bride being presented to the groom for the very first time on the wedding day. Jesus loves the church so much that He gave Himself up for the church so that the church could be presented to Him. How? In splendor, glory, without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, that the church might be holy and without blemish. That's how much Jesus loves the church. And so husbands, take that and reflect on that. You are to love your wife just like Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the church unconditionally. Jesus loves the church in such a way that it's not about Him, it's about them. He loves the church so that He can benefit the church. He loves the church with a love that's greater than anything. A love that doesn't have to be earned. A love that doesn't have to be merited. Husbands, love your wives just like Christ loves the church. Don't make her feel like she has to deserve your love. Don't make her feel like she has to earn it. Love her with the greatest love possible, like we said. A love that goes to her benefit. A love that is second only to the love that you are to have for the Lord, Jesus Christ Himself. But Paul isn't done with this topic. He says, number one, husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. But then he says, number two, husbands, love your wives as your own body. He talks about, as, as you read throughout this passage, again, a general statement, people don't hate their bodies. People don't hate their flesh. But what do we do every day when we get ready in the morning? We nourish, we cherish, we take care of our bodies. What does Jesus do for His body, the church? Jesus nourishes, cherishes, and takes care of His body. Husbands, can you see the message? Just like we nourish and cherish our bodies, just like Jesus nourishes and cherishes His body, we are to nourish and cherish our wives as our own bodies. I love the statement at the end of verse number 28. Paul says, He who loves his wife loves himself. Do you know why that is? Because if you skip down to verse 31, Paul quotes a very important verse in Genesis 2. Genesis 2 and verse number 24. It's quoted throughout the New Testament. Jesus quotes it in Matthew chapter 19. Genesis 2 and verse 24 is God's original design for marriage. What, what is marriage? Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be bound to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I don't know about you, but I learned in school that one plus one equals two. That's what my math class taught me. It's not that way in marriage. In marriage, one plus one equals one. One man plus one woman in marriage equals one flesh. So take that and, and think about that statement. He who loves his wife loves himself. You have become one flesh with your wife. And so whenever you love her, what are you actually doing? You're loving yourself. When you nourish and cherish her, you are nourishing and cherishing another part of yourself. That other person who you have made the lifelong commitment with to be one flesh. 
Is your marriage what God wants it to be? Husbands, are you the husband that God wants you to be? Are you leading your wife? Are you loving your wife? See, we've been thinking about this overall question. We want to have the marriage that God desires. And we've looked at now two specific questions. Now I want us to look at a more general question. A question that I think is the main point of this passage. Is your marriage what God wants it to be? Here's what will answer it for you. Does your marriage reflect the relationship that exists between Christ and the church? That's the main point of this passage. That's what Paul is wanting to get across. If you want to have the marriage that God wants you to have, your relationship with your wife, your relationship with your husband should very vividly represent and demonstrate the relationship that exists between Jesus and His church. I mean, go through this text with me one more time. Verse 22, Submit to your own husbands. How? As to the Lord. Verse 23, The husband is the head of the wife. How? Even as Christ is the head of the of the church. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. Verse number 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. How? Just as Christ does the church. This mystery is profound. Verse 32, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You want to have the marriage that God wants you to have? Have a relationship with your wife, with your husband, that reflects very vividly the relationship that exists between Christ and His church. Ultimately, that is what marriage is supposed to be. The overall question, I think, is a good question. A question we need to reflect on. Is your marriage what God wants it to be? That puts it in the proper perspective. Well, let's answer it with three questions. Women, are you the wife that God wants you to be? Men, are you the husband that God wants you to be? And then talking to the couple, does your marriage reflect the relationship that exists between Christ and His church? I want to give you a challenge. If you are married right now, this week I want to challenge you to find some time to sit down with your spouse to read through this passage, to ask those three questions, and to talk about it. Because the only way that this, is, this gap is going to be closed, if there's a gap that exists, the only way that the problems are going to be solved, if problems exist, is by talking about it. By walking through this passage together and saying, how can I be the husband? How can I be the wife that God wants me to be? Maybe you're not married yet, and one day you want to be married. I want to challenge you this week to spend some time with this text in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, thinking about yourself. What can I do now to start developing these characteristics? You should go out and look for someone who's going to fulfill this relationship for you. But even more important than looking for someone who fulfills these things is you being a person who fulfills these things. And then if at one time you were married and you're not anymore, I want to challenge you to spend some time with this text and to reflect on the fact, how can you teach other people about what this is supposed to look like? from your own experiences, from your own life, what can you teach other people about the kind of marriage that God wants, the kind of marriage that God desires? Is your marriage what God wants it to be? Is your marriage where God wants it to be? It's an important question. But perhaps an even more important question is, is your soul where God wants it to be? Are you in the right relationship with your husband or wife? That's important. An even more important question is, are you in the right relationship with the Lord? 
And if you find yourself tonight in a position where that's not the case, let's make it right. Maybe you need to be baptized into Jesus. Maybe you need to come back to Jesus. It's an invitation that we extend every time we're together. It's something that always is open. If you need encouragement, if you need to take the next step in faith, we'd love to help you as we stand and as we sing.